Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hi, Kevin. Hello. How was how was taking time off, Kellen? It was great. I was just telling you before we recorded that it went by fast for me. And not that time away from work doesn't go by quickly for me necessarily, but time work from way away from work doesn't go by quickly sometimes. <laughs> but it but it flew by, which told me that I really needed some some time away. Didn't have a hundred percent commitment in staying off Twitter, you know, uh, with the All Star Game happening. With the is this the day I'm going to wake up to the Chris Paul update that he's out for however long. And then there I am just watching uh, inside the NBA's pregame show because anytime Ernie, Kenny, Shaq, and Chuck are on, I'm going to have the volume on and listening. And then it cuts to Allie LaFour saying, yeah, we have two things of bad news. And I was like, okay, I know about the Donovan Mitchell one. What's the other one, Allie? Uh, and then Allie LaForce tells us that Chris Paul is out six to eight weeks due to a avulsion fracture in his right thumb. You like that transition, by the way, Kevin? We're just getting right into it. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I meant to do that for you. There you go. <laughs> Look at that. Just just years of podcasting together, and we do it so naturally. <laughs> um, so Ali LaForce gets that update from the team. I had that update texted to me about half an hour later as well. Um, so for those of you that are looking at that timeline and looking at it as like one person single report and looking for – signs of like uh, looking for signs of confirmation slash maybe optimism that the timeline could be shorter. That is the official update from the team on the timeline of his potential, uh, not even return, just point of reevaluation. Uh, there is a lot to go, uh, a lot of places to go with this conversation. And I wrote two pieces today on the site, one off of what campaign had to say today, which we'll get into. And then one just in general, going off of all of the effects of this. And I didn't even get into like half of it, Kevin, to be honest, I wrote like 1200 words on it and I didn't even get to close to half of what we're going to talk about. There's a lot of ways to go. I think that the main place to start Kevin is with initial reactions and comboing that with right now, the Suns are up seven games in the loss column on the golden state warriors for the number one seed in the West six weeks away from now would be five games left in the regular season uh, as of the timeline given on Sunday. That would be five games left in the regular season. Eight weeks away would be the third day of the playoffs starting. Um, There have been dates thrown around and stuff, Kevin. Uh, The play-in is not the playoffs. We need to put this down. If the Kings get in the play-in, that does not end their playoff streak. We need to (laughs) – tired of this. Enough of this tomfoolery, I say. To that point, um, eight weeks away from that time is the third day of the first round of the playoffs beginning. So I would assume that that would either be the first or second game that the Suns play that he would be back for, quote unquote. But he's Chris Paul, Kevin. And if that thumbs on 100%, guess what he's going to be doing? He's going to be playing game one of that playoff series anyway, unless he has a serious setback. Um, because uh, my goodness, he was out there in the all-star game. <laughs> Just like, why is he out there? Uh, it's because he, he wants to be, and, and he's going to be out there. So uh, to that point, Kevin, 
what is your initial takeaway from all those different avenues that I threw out to you in terms of timelines, in terms of uh, the race for the one seed, just him being out in general, where do you go first in your brain? Uh, The one thing that I'll touch on real quick is apparently there's some people, I don't know how many that thought it was really weird. He played in the all-star game with like an injury that's going to keep him out that long. And I tweeted this, like I had the same injury to two of my fingers which his is probably like a different knuckle on his thumb, which is more important, but also like, I don't think they're going to put him out there when he can injure himself more. So let's not worry about that. And he's literally, he kept his right hand away from everything. When Devin Booker was doing the rip through, I'm sure people were panicking. You think he's going to stick his right hand in there? We're talking about Chris (laughs) Paul, like the most, one of the most instinctual players of all time. Like he was not going to put his right hand anywhere near anyone. He was out there for two minutes. It was fine. But at the same time, Kevin, if the Suns had their choice on the matter for themselves as the organization, they would have not had him out there. But he wanted to be out there. He wanted to make an appearance in the All-Star game to appear in another All-Star game. And uh, and he did. It matters to people. I think like yeah, sure. as, as bad as the game might have been, I thought it was fine. We can talk about that later. Um, whatever symbolic stuff there is, I think he, he made the call. So that's fine. Um as far as what it means, I'm like trying to do basic math, which is difficult. Suns have 58 games played. That means there are 24 left, correct? If I do. No yeah. Jack Bauer. Okay, thank you. Um, yep. Six and a half games is a lot to make up in that amount of time. Like, I'm, I don't think I'd be surprised if the Warriors did it, but it, it is a significant um gap there buffer um that they worked hard for and and now you can look at it and be like oh like all that well teams are resting or trying to get healthy like they kind of were pushing the envelope and now that there's an injury maybe you say well playing against the rockets getting hurt there isn't great but another way to look at it is they have a good buffer so it's going to be an interesting finish where you know the warriors aren't off to the not off, but they didn't enter the all-star break on the greatest run. Um, the Grizzlies have been making runs this season where that's possible to make up eight games. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to make it more interesting from our perspective, obviously. But from their perspective, if Chris Paul does hit that six to seven week window, then they'll be in pretty good shape, I imagine. You want to know the math, pal? I got it right here in front of me. Yeah, do some uh, it was, math. It was basically who, whichever one of us was going to be talking at the time, the other one was going to get the math out. And that, that was my job, and I stepped up to the plate. Again, the chemistry here, folks. Like, we, we got that green link. If my ultimate team FIFA fans know what I'm saying out there, we got the strong 10 out of 10 count. Okay. <laughs> the Warriors have played 59 games. The Suns have played 58. If the Suns go 12 and 12 over the next 24 games, I don't want to outline that as a worst-case scenario, Kevin. But I think that people are looking at the Suns' depth, how great of a team they are, and kind of overlooking the fact that 48 of Chris Paul's minutes will now go to either a bunch of guys who haven't played well this season or a new guy who's been here a week. Uh, I think that that has gone pretty over people's heads, I got to be honest. So I am not setting my expectations enormously high for this team. Uh, so I, I'm not predicting 12 and 12, but I'm just going to put it there. And again, if they go 12 and 12, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. I think we're, like you said, we are in, it is what it is region now for this rest of the regular season. Um, and we'll get to how 
maybe the wrinkles that the Suns add, the individual players that they try to feature more prominently, someone like Campaign, for example, getting extended minutes to get out of his funk. Um, that is to get back more to how he played last year rather than a funk, I should say. That is more important. But for now, let's say they go 12 and 12. That means that the Warriors would have to go 18 and 5 to reach 60 wins themselves. I, I do not remember what the secondary tiebreaker is right now, but the Warriors hold the 2-1 lead in the, in the season series. And then there is that one final game, I believe. If, I, if I'm remembering those three games correctly, there is just that, that one to go, right, that goes from there. Yeah, so they lost the last two against the Warriors. That final game is on March 30th. So it, it, it's, it's pretty far out. We'll see what happens. But again, 18 and five is asking a lot out of the Warriors, especially when they don't have Draymond Green coming back right now. But now if Draymond comes back in a week or two and they rip off a couple of wins, I think the thing, Kevin, is this team doesn't lose a lot of games in a row, but that's with Chris Paul. If they lose five games in a row, the Warriors win five games in a row, which is not a completely crazy thing to suggest right now. Then all of a sudden we're talking two and a half games, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't think that it's impossible but I think that the Suns are in a tremendous position to hold that ground. Now, here's a more interesting question, Kevin. How much does it matter? Again, I think people are underplaying this. I think it matters a lot. Uh, the Suns have arguably the best home court advantage in basketball right now in the postseason. I'll say that. Um, the regular season crowd has definitely been louder the last two years than it was before that for obvious reasons. But with that in mind, once the playoffs hit, it just hit this overdrive where people are going nuts. And it was louder there than any of the other arenas I went to. The Clippers arena got loud towards the end of the regular, towards the end of the regular season. Denver kind of got there a bit, a little bit, but they were staring down a three no hole by the time they got enough people in the, in the building. Uh, and then Milwaukee was really loud. But I think the Suns are in, in the discussion for the loudest uh, crowd. And then Golden State has to be right there, Kevin, right? Based on their fans, the, the diehards that they've had leading up to this dynasty. And then when you have a dynasty and when you start winning games, you get louder people in there. You get more of a loud environment in there too. That's just the way that it goes. So I really do think that that matters. Uh, I, I messaged you this over the all-star break. Like we were going to a week or two out from the playoffs that, that start of April point, me and you are going to start talking about what can we take away from last year's playoff runs. Main thing I take away Kevin four and zero in game once. Um, and those were all at home. That matters a lot. We have not seen this team. I, I can't remember when specifically two, one in the Lakers series was the only other time they trailed in a series, I believe. Yeah. Um, besides the finals. So I think home court matters a lot. And, and for people to kind of wave off the notion of like, ah, it doesn't matter who gets the one seed. I think that it matters. Yeah. I think, look, if you look at, especially because it's golden state, right? Like it, it wouldn't really matter, but you look at those top four teams in the West. Um, I would say Memphis has a pretty good home crowd. Utah, as much as like their crowd clashes, I'm going to get destroyed on the sun's podcast saying the Utah has a good crowd, but they have a good crowd. Like you listen to regular season games, they're very involved. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I don't know how good the crowd in Golden State has been since they moved venues. Um, when you pay lots of thousands of dollars or whatever it is now, um, I guess they haven't really had that many playoff games or any since they moved. Time is time is a flat circle. I don't know. Point is, isn't yeah, it, isn't it more of the notion that these are all veterans who have been in playoff series by now? They all they, they're yes. two teams who are great on the road. It doesn't matter. I don't agree with that sentiment. I oh, just don't. No. no. 
Like, do you think you would rather have Steph Curry playing in front of his home crowd or not? Like, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, I don't want exactly, to exactly. give that dude anymore, like, playing to the crowd. Like, I'd rather have him being trying to shut up the Suns crowd upon the Suns. So, yeah, I, I think that's the big one is with that team in particular, just because of who they are. Um, they're obviously a super hungry team. Like, I don't care what the Suns went through more recently. Um, those three guys, if they hit a stride, you, you don't, you want every advantage against them. Yeah. It, speaking of stride, again, this is, we're in, it is what it is territory. And I'm not saying these are good or bad things because we just don't know. We have to wait and see. The guy has missed four games for the Suns, inc- including the regular season and the playoffs. Four games. One of those was for rest. One of those was for sore hammy word. Each one more filled in, Kevin. Rather uh, admirably. Remember that messy Cavs game? game? Yeah, that was yeah, a good was game. Sneaky good game that was just all over the place. And then, of course, the two games in the Western Conference Finals. We'll talk about campaign in a bit. Obviously, that helps his confidence that he came in in a humongous stage. And I wrote this. Uh, I wrote this in the big thing I have coming. Like the value just overshadowed the campaign. Played like one of the best Suns. I dare say, Kevin, like one of the best postseason performances by a Phoenix Sun ever uh, because of his role, the importance of that game. He had I think he had zero turnovers in that game and shot like 65 percent, 70 percent, had 20 something points. But the value happened and that's all everyone was talking about, rightfully so. Um, But we'll get to that in a bit. I think the more interesting thing here, Kevin is how long does it take to adapt to playing not like a Chris Paul team? Because a Chris Paul team plays like a Chris Paul team, Kevin. We talked about this when they were 8-8. Eight eight. We talked about this at the start of the se- this season. We talked about it at the midway point when they hit their stride last year. We talked about it at this midway point when they hit their stride. We talk about how like a Chris Paul team plays like a Chris Paul team. How long does it take to adapt and change the way that you play? Because, Kevin they can talk about we can't replace him with one guy. You can't replace him with 15 guys. You can't replace him with any group of players because there's no one like him. There's no one that plays like him. There's just been no one in the history of basketball. You can't time travel back to 1965 and grab Oscar Robertson, Kevin. That wouldn't matter either. It would help. It would be really nice to have Oscar Robertson in in triple-double form. But he doesn't play like Chris Paul, and it's like you just have to play a different style now. So how long does it take to adapt and then when he comes back, Kevin, how long does that second period of adaption take? You would figure the Chris Paul coming back would be easier than him getting used to him not being on the court. But the thing that I am very slightly concerned with, again, concern meter 2.5 out of 10 on this, is just when he comes back, what is the period they need to assimilate? Because if he comes back in the first round, Kevin, and they're playing – uh, gosh, the Minnesota Timberwolves or the, the Lakers or the Clippers without assuming the Clippers, that that's where it can get interesting. We'll get into that in future episodes. But assuming they're playing a walkover in the first round, like most one seeds should, I think it's actually kind of important for him to be back by the first round so they can use that first round to get used to him. If he comes back in round two, Kevin, and they're playing like a legit threat like Utah, like Dallas, like Denver with Jamal Murray potentially back at some point. We don't know that. And then we've been hearing rumblings that like Michael Porter Jr. could be back at some point. Like that there's, there's, there, it's all over the place in Denver is what I'm saying. Anyway, um, I think that that's where you could run into some trouble actually. And you could not lose a series, but you could run into some hurdles along the way. 
And then you're coming into the Warriors series, having come off a seven game war while the Warriors just cruised against the young Grizzlies. You know what I, you know what I'm yeah. saying? That, that is where I am just adding a, um, I'm trying to think of the, the right word here, a disclaimer on this. I don't think we should simply speak past the fact of these um, growing pains. I guess that's the best way to put it, Kevin. They're now in, they're now, they are now locked into two periods of growing pains. And if those growing pains exist, how long they do, we'll wait and see. But the possibility of them being there is undeniable. Yeah. Um, you just look at the second tier of teams, I guess, and it, it's going to be jumbled. But, I mean, what if the Warriors, for some reason, do really badly, don't get Draymond back and slip, and then suddenly they're not like the conference finals opponent, you know? So, And, and you're trying to integrate Chris Paul then. So I think... That timing matters um, to to a large degree, but you know, I, I don't really know. Like, I, I just think they have to adjust to have new players. Like, you're not gonna play at his pace. You're not gonna operate the same way, and that, I think that's why it's gonna be a fun. What was the math again? Twenty four game run. Um, just you know, something around that length where we get to see them do different things, use different lineups. Maybe it's more point book. Um, Maybe it's bigger lineups. Maybe it's going small. I don't know, but I I think that's going to be kind of interesting to see because the, the one thing that they have done this year, even with Chris Paul and he's played all the games to this point is they were being more aggressive, pushing the pace in spots and being aware. And I think that Clippers series in the Western conference finals really pushed them and him to like play a little faster, at least selectively. Um, so I'm that was, that was yeah. the series when Willie green, when Chris Paul told us, Willie green told him like 20 seconds on the shot clock, I needed to cross half court and yeah. to get there. I mean, in, in terms of the NBA, I'm looking at pace, just ratings. And obviously the it's measuring different teams last year compared to different teams this year. The Suns are, you know, it's like one more possession per game, but they're seventh this year. They were like 24th last year in, in terms of the NBA wide scope. So there's a difference and maybe that helps them make it easier because they've played with this kind of pace um, again, at least more selectively. Okay. Now we're going to zoom out again, even further and look at the way the roster outlines right now, the status of certain players and how it pertains to potentially adding another player down the line, because that's where a lot of people's brains went with the Goran Dragic news with the Javon Carter news and so on. So right now, at point guard, the Suns have campaign who is day to day with a right wrist injury. I mentioned this on last week's pod. I did not notice him in his pregame workouts or in his post shoot around post practice workouts, having some sort of brace soft cast situation with his right hand and him just working out with his right hand or, or sorry, his, his left hand the entire time and not using his right hand. I noticed that before the Orlando game on February 12th, that was something that, um, again, I noticed and was not something I noticed before. And was like, okay, well, was there a setback there or something? Because again, we got a two week reevaluation period on him. That period ended on February 7th. We've been asking for updates. We haven't gotten any. He's day to day. He comes on Burns and Gambo today says he's day-to-day, and then when Gambo asks him, like, do you anticipate, like, being back in the next week or so, Cam said, I'm praying on that, too. 
So it sounds like even like a week from now, it might not be in, in the cards for him necessarily. It might be a couple more weeks or, or something like that. We'll see. That's just me speculating, but it doesn't sound like he's playing Thursday. It doesn't sound like he's playing Friday. To that point behind him, you've got Alfred Payton, who has not played well. Uh, Kevin, everyone should strike down on me with their wrath because I mentioned on this podcast last week, it seems like the Suns are cursed and they're going to need Alfred Payton to play a role on this team for the entire season when the roster was not designed for him to play a role for this team at any point in the season. If it was fully healthy, we're going to see Alfred Payton probably the rest of the year, I would assume. Uh, because he is he is the point guard of that guard group. Beyond that, Aaron Holiday more of a combo. Landry Shamit far far more of a combo. Aaron Holiday played point in college, like he's he's got point guard experience. Landry Shamit really really doesn't. Um, so that's where Holiday could fit in. Um, but and Shamit, we heard post All Star break. In terms of again, what I'm seeing after practice before the game, Kevin, he was very active on that ankle that he sprained um, before the break. So I would assume that he's back within a week. If I had to just guess based on the usual patterns I see of what guys are doing at certain points in the game. So beyond that, Kevin, the question becomes, what do you do with the starting lineup while Cameron Payne is out? And then when he comes back, what do you do from there? How do you handle the rotation? I think there's a serious argument to be made for starting with point book, Kevin, the pros you've got Tory Craig. Now ish Wainwright has proven that he can play dependable wing minutes. You go wing heavy, you start Cam Johnson, who is playing the best basketball of his life, who has proven that he is that six starter. The question is how much workload you are putting on Devin Booker in that situation. Is it too much? I would argue yes, and I would avoid doing that as much as possible. I would avoid any situation in which you're putting too much on him. You don't want to start to even think about wear and tear on him at this point in the season especially with Chris out. I think it's just about getting everyone as healthy as possible without playing him 42 minutes on any night, really, um, in, in the way in which Point Book is deployed. And when we've asked about Point Book, Kevin, since Monty got here, like in one of his opening press conferences, he talked about it and said, I like it, we can use it, but I don't want to like put it more on him. And this is a, that exact type of point. So I don't know, Kevin, a lot. They're a better team probably if he starts while campaign is, is healing up uh, while he starts and Cam Johnson starts and they've got the depth behind him with Craig and Wainwright to be fine. Um, but I don't know if it's the right call. I, I, I wouldn't know which direction to lean. Where do you lean? Did, okay. We talked about the Etuan Moore game. Was campaign active for that game? He was out. Okay. I'm also a bad memory thing. I feel like Monty has done the point book a few times late in games. And I could totally see him just being like, all right, we're going to throw Alfred Payton in, or even like at this point, Aaron holiday, if you want Alfred to be more of like the defense guard off the bench with fewer minutes. And then you just roll out point book in the final four minutes. Um, I think it would have to be Alfred in the starting lineup running the offense so that the point book energy is like strictly with point book and not the whole game with holiday. You know what I mean? Unless they feel comfortable with holiday running the offense, which. uh, Yeah. I I think it's too soon for the holiday thing, Um, but he, he does slot in more where Alfred has already kind of found his role and whatever you think about his play, he has played better. He has, had better feel. Um, 
that one he has come in off the bench, I think, lately. So, yeah, I, I think Point Book is a, the best answer, and defensively it makes a lot of sense too, but I, I see just, like, that being a, okay, late-game situation. Um, you can't burn him out too much. You want him to, like, we talked about his MVP candidacy being about his defense, all this stuff. So I'd say, um, yeah, you roll with Alfred right now. He knows the offense, get him in sets, let book ease into it. And then if you have to late in games, go with that lineup. Go with that lineup. Indeed. Um, man, I, I think they just got to start Alfred and just take the hits. And that's, that's why I kind of put through that 12 and 12 number out there. Um, I, I just don't think you can put too much on the guy. I, I don't think it's smart. And I, looked at those money situations when he would play point book at times or when he wouldn't play point book when he should have been. And those weren't these types of moments. I think personally in my view, which is wrong because he's the guy up close who is with the guy every day who understands how he's feeling, understands how if six minutes of point book here impacts him in three weeks time or whatever, you know what I mean? He knows how the ebbs and flows go. I don't, um, that was those situations. This is now what I'm saying. It's so I can't imagine how he feels and usually won't, but that with that in mind, Kevin, his rotations this year, including playing bridges, Paul and Booker extended minutes lately, just to win games when they have a huge lead and it's just winning games in February. That's all they're doing. Um, he was still playing those guys extended minutes. So I don't, I don't even know what to expect from, from them to do. I, I'm not sure, um, but I would bet on the Alfred thing, especially because Alfred comes in, you've got, holiday behind them too so it's not an issue of guard depth if book starts because then you'd have two guards off the bench as opposed to one assuming shame it isn't back but then if shame it's back how does that change things i'm not sure to get to the buyout market kevin holy cannoli um i well we talked about this when alfred when javel mcgee signed and it was reported by gambo that they have half of that uh mle left and they can use it or the bae whatever it was there no it was the mle um, had that the half of the MLE and they can use it on the buyout market. And you and I were saying it is not smart to rely on the buyout market. I don't think that's what they were doing anyway, but it's unwise to rely on the buyout market. And in a situation like this, Kevin, let's say that like an ideal backup point guard hits the market. I, Dennis Schroeder has been a name that I've heard, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, he was going to stay in Houston or someone suspected. I don't remember who said it, but. Let's say let's say they get a miracle and he becomes available. Um, okay. He needs to come in, Kevin, and learn the offense, which is going to take a couple of weeks. Yeah. By then, you're halfway through Chris Paul's time recovery time, um, and then he comes back and he's not playing again because he would be in the Alfred Payton role essentially, whoever that person is. In terms of who they'd have to cut, they would have to cut Alfred Payton, the one guy who is capable of running the offense while campaign is injured. That's not Devin Booker. Um, they would have to cut Alfred Payton because they're out of roster spot. There's so many guys hurt now that they don't really have room to cut anyone else. So basically it to be Frank. I guess Frank is the other guy. I could never really see them waving Frank in a situation like this to add a buyout guy, but they don't have a roster spot. Um, and they really need Alfred Payton. Now we talked about, and, and I wrote about last week, Kevin, or after the trade deadline, how waving Alfred Payton and signing Ish Wainwright for the rest of the year to get him on the playoff roster makes sense. I don't know if they can afford to do that now. 
um, with what they've got happening at the guard it, position. It depends a lot on how holiday is being grown in, but I mean, the learning curve for whichever guard comes in on the buyout market in a, in a dream scenario, Kevin, I don't even know if it makes sense. No, it's, it's basically making it point book all the time. Like yeah. there's a reason that they have not been playing Aaron holiday. I, I think they haven't played him at point guard. And that's really just a sign of how much they want someone knowing the offense, at least having what Alfred had training camp and then some coming out of the off season to really get in a groove. So yeah, it, it makes no sense to bring in anyone else. Even if you were considering a guy like Goran Dragic, if you would somehow gotten him, like, would that be that much of an upgrade? I don't know. So there aren't any names, even Dennis Schroeder again is a guy who can play defense well, but is, is he necessarily that much more of an upgrade than Aaron holiday? Who's been here a few weeks. No. It's not. I, I really don't think it is. Um, short term, that's kind of like the short term here for the next week or two, three weeks. We'll see. Long term, this is where you get into optimism and how much this can help the team. You add new elements to the offense because you kind of have to because Chris, Chris Paul did so much of it on his own. The numbers that I had in the story that's going up is that only 16 percent of Chris Paul's field goals are assisted this year, which is the lowest mark on the team by a mile campaigns is around like 33 books around 45. Um, It's really low. And then he has nearly 40% of the team's total assists, which is a crazy number. Um, So they've done this before when they were under the Ricky Rubio year, they led the league in assist percentage. Monty Williams is offensive specifically designed to have everyone move the ball that this will not be a problem. But with that in mind, other players are going to need to step up. If you had to, I, I think, I, I think obviously campaign is a number one guy that needs to step up Kevin, just because I, I mentioned this in the story, the reason why. So I looked at the assist numbers and 55.6% of the assisted buckets for, um, for Paul, to Booker is 55.6%. So of the, I think it's 224 of the assisted baskets that Booker has, 55.6% of them are from Paul. And then 57 is the number for DeAndre Ayton. So Ayton's like slightly ahead when it compares to everyone else. That's surprising to hear at first because you, Booker's the one-on-one score guy, right? But Payne is the guy now that is going to be throwing those passes to Booker when he's coming through the off-ball motion. The timing has to be there. All of that kind of stuff has to be there because that's where Booker gets most of his work done in this offense. Now, he's going to be on the ball more, and I'm sure they'll change that. I'm sure the number of pick and rolls that Den Booker ran with DeAndre Ayton before this is going to be way higher now. But with that in mind, I think campaign being the guy that gets everyone in their right spots, particularly Book. And I guess DeAndre, as a fact as well, is more important right now than new elements of book in the offense, new elements of DeAndre in the offense. I think that it's more on like the point guard putting the guys in the right spots right now. Yeah, and it's going to be, you would hope the Suns get him back soon enough where they get enough run with campaign, even if it's bumpy, where he can find a groove, right? Because we talked about all season, he was kind of, forcing things, um, putting himself in bad positions for turnovers or whatever. And right now, I mean, that, there's your chance, man. There's your chance to find what he had last offseason, getting a groove with booking those guys. 
um, and Aiden and, and JaVale McGee for that matter, because you're going to roll with two centers probably through at least a few rounds until things start getting wonky and teams can really do some weird things with lineups um, to, to really take you out of your game. So I think, you know, optimist for the Suns would say, yeah, that's, that's campaign's time. Um, again, might be Aaron Holiday's time, might be Alfred Payton's time. Who knows? He's going to get the chance. He has to. He does, man. And it's just how, how does the point guard play affect everyone else? And then from there, Kevin, how do other players step up? Um, the, the most interesting part to me maybe is that Mikel and Cam, the way that they have been scoring more consistently, is that sustainable without Chris Paul now? A, a lot of it does come from them. I looked at those assisted percentages again, and like a lot of their baskets do come from Paul and like catch and shoot threes that Chris Paul is setting up on his own, things like that. But again, going through like the motions of the offense, they have elements of their offense through that off motion that set up Mikel Bridges in the mid range. And there have been little moments here and there of Cam Johnson getting those. I think those two are completely different offensive players. Johnson doesn't have wiggle to his handle. He's a straight line driver. Not much of a mid-range game right now. That's where Bridges has the upper hand. But in terms of a finisher at the rim, Cam Johnson's like right next to Mikel Bridges in terms of his proficiency there. And he's starting to get there a little bit more this season than he was last season. But how much of that can kind of come within the flow of the offense when the defense isn't absolutely primed in on campaign? Um, can those guys or- organically step up? Is that the right way to put it, Kevin? I think it's like it's or- them organically making this happen. Yeah. And, it, and again, it's a whole team thing too. Cause like in my head, I'm talking about like DA or like if Frank came back magically or JaVale McGee, you know, where they have the ball top of the arc, there's a side action book, you know, flares out as a decoy or something. And it's Mikel cutting to the rim and the ball moving enough or the player holding the ball up top enough where you get them easy, Shots, whether, you know, even if the defender's there, Mikel has shown the ability to shoot over guys um, with a dribbler or two when they're too small now. So it's that little stuff where it's like, even if it's basically your same offense, are you moving the ball well enough? Um, are you organized enough when teams D up on you? That kind of thing where um, it's going to be put on a lot of different guys who can do stuff, but they have to do it consistently and keep the ball moving that sort of thing and get used to that where they don't just like look at book to solve things and book doesn't overly kind of, you know, take over where he's trying to do too much and solving things when it's just on Monty and the staff to be like, guys run the offense. So the offensive rating this year, when, when Chris Paul is off of the court is 104.9, that would be 27th in the league. There's like a lot of teams that are at like one Oh seven and above. And then the numbers just, really dramatically drop off there across a couple of teams in the league. And like, that's where hypothetically this team would come in. Now I think like the number one question Suns fans have is, okay, well, how does that look when like the team was healthier last year? And how does it look when the campaign was playing better last year? And, and the, the answer is encouraging. The offensive rating Chris Paul was off the floor last year was 113.2. So, so that's much better. And, and I think that's sort of, 
the glimmer, not the glimmer, but the the uh, another source of optimism is that when campaign had it going last year, when Chris Paul was sitting, the offense was still able to produce a lot. Well, um, when when he's on the court, Kevin, he's out there with DeAndre and Jay a lot. It's it was surprising to see the numbers. DeAndre's only played 130 minutes without Chris Paul this year. So in six games, he's going to he's going to go above that total already. And then Jay Crowder as well is another guy kind of under the radar. You don't think of him much as an, a guy with an offensive role, obviously. But it, to that point, he's a guy who's played under 200 minutes without Chris Paul as well this year. It's 140. Uh, and when I looked at the net ratings, which again, if you do on-off court net rating stuff, it's not really that great. Like, for example, the best defensive net rating the team has when one player sits is Mikel Bridges, <laughs> who is their best defensive player. Why is that, Kevin? It's because when he's on the bench, that's when the other team's best offensive player is on the bench. So that's why that defensive rating kind of climbs up there a bit. So like, you have to look at it, but Chris Paul's defensive rating is around there too. But with that in mind, Jay Crowder's net rating when he plays with Chris Paul this year, 11.9 in those 140 minutes when he didn't play with Chris Paul, minus 0.5. Those numbers weren't there for DeAndre. They were about even with and without him, which was interesting because remember last year, Kevin, the off-court numbers would skyrocket when DeAndre was um, was off the floor. Those Dario numbers were insane. Um, I think Jay is a big guy to pay attention to because if you look at the trend of the offense dipping and the defense getting even better when Chris Paul is off the court, that's where Jay has to step up. He has to hit his shots, has to be a little bit more in the floaty game and a little bit more of the offense, but more importantly, he has to keep the defense, the, the defense together because as long as they're a top five, top five defense during this stretch, they're going to win a lot of games still. It doesn't matter where the offense is. They can win through their defense and keep winning 105 to 101. They can do that. Yeah, and you know, look, their offense takes care of business against bad teams. They break it down. Um, and that's why I guess I'm not that worried. Again, as long as you get... Chris Paul back operating decently against, you know, the tough teams in the playoffs, I think they'll be fine. But as far as the the buffer again with Golden State, I think they're in a good spot. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Even even worst case scenarios with Alfred Payton starting the rest of the season, if he's the point guard, I don't think that's gonna be the case. But I I I, I don't know. I just believe in what their offense is. I believe that the defense has done enough um that isn't, you know, it, it's just two years of it. We have evidence that they can be a really good defensive team. And arguably you have more versatile, more athletic lineups without Chris Paul as good of a help defender and smart guy as he is. I think that's a great way to frame it. Um, we could go on. We could look at different players. I, I think the other point I'll make is the Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson thing. You're basically looking at, you're looking at cuts. You're looking at points in transition, you're looking at like those little moments here or there when you're doing slip screens or he's working around the elbows on, on those screening motions that they do off the ball. Those are like the moments when you're looking for those two more frequently to be targeted, um, to be focal points, I should say, um, in the offense. But uh, I think it goes back to defense. Like I said, with Jay, especially they can still be a top five defensive team in the league without him. Um, because Chris Paul or because campaign's a good defender, because Alfred Payton's a good defender, Aaron Holiday appears to be a good defender from what we've seen from him and what we know of his reputation. Everyone else on the team, like I outlined a couple of weeks ago, like they don't really have a weak point. They don't really have anywhere you can target them because everyone defends. Um, all of this, though, uh, this whole stretch, some people will argue this is the DeAndre Ayton point. I wrote in the piece, 
Everyone's been making the joke of how Bismack Biombo and Jalen Smith can do it. Anyone could get 12 points in the, in the pick and roll playing with Chris Paul. This should be a point of DeAndre hearing that kind of stuff and proving to everyone that he doesn't need Chris Paul to set him up for everything in order to be a productive NBA center and one of the top five in the league. It's a time for him to prove it. But I think this comes back to book Kevin because I've said on this podcast and I wrote it in the piece, I think he's a top 10 player in the league just based on how he performed last postseason, how he's performed the last couple of years. I think he's a top 10 player in the league. And if he plays at that level that I expect, to be honest, I think he's going to win the MVP. Um, I wrote the story last week. We kind of teased it before it went live. And I went through every single reason why he has shown his value while being with Chris Paul. And now he gets to show the other half of the argument, which is how he looks without Chris Paul. I think if he plays to his standard, if they still win 62, 63, 64 games, and he puts up the numbers we should expect, which is around 27, 28 a game, six, seven assists a game, 45, 46 from the field. I think he'll get the hardware, assuming Embiid and Jokic don't average 40 points and 20 rebounds a game, but they could do that because that's how insane those guys are this year. Uh, but I think the red carpet has been rolled out for him to get that hardware, which is crazy to say, uh, but it's there. And I think he's capable of it. I don't know how you feel about it and how high your expectations are of him as a player, but I think that right now, if I had to like make a prediction, I would say like he's going to win MVP. My thing with him, I kind of said it earlier, it's just he can get that. And I agree with you that he could be that guy without changing what he's doing. Like, I think he's going to get more touches. He's going to get more shots. He's going to get more pick and roll actions run. Um, he's going to be forced to like, what game was that where they went? He, oh, man, which game was that at the end of the, uh, for the all-star break where he was just doing everything past wide. Yeah. Toronto, no, no, um, Toronto, Houston, Houston. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he has to go out of his way to be an MVP candidate more is what I'm saying in the long roundabout way is he's going to have the touches and he's a good decision maker. And if he just lets it come to him and runs the offense, that's that's going to be happening, I think. Yeah, our, our buddy Mike Veal, who was just on the, the podcast while you were away uh, being a father, uh, tweeted the, some, the stat, which was that book averaged, I'm pulling it up right now, 6.8 and 6.5 assists per game in his last two seasons before um, before Chris Paul got to Phoenix. He's he's capable of being that playmaker. I think he's going to show it in this half of the season in these 24, 25 games. And I think that he is the ultimate reason to not really be concerned or weighted down on top of the fact that they've got one of the best coaches in the league. They've got a really good group, um, an excellent group that just works together, will problem solve together. And... Kevin, I don't know if you heard the news, but the Suns have a new assistant coach now. (laughs) Chris Paul is going to go from coach slash player to just assistant coach. And I'm sure he's going to be over there on the sideline coming up to Monty every 90 seconds or so during a game to talk about something. And he's going to be having at least like 50 conversations with different players throughout the game. The camera, the camera has just set one on him. Yeah. Oh, they, they need a second screen experience that that is a must for the rest of the season. Bally sports. If you're listening, please get on that. That would be tremendous. I'm definitely going to be doing that during the game. I remember doing that in in the preseason when he wasn't really playing that much and just watching already in the preseason, how he was, how he was doing that. Um, okay. Here's my take, Kevin. Sometimes the dunk contest is just going to suck and we have to deal with it and just uh, learn that we can't change things. And sometimes it's going to be bad. Do people forget that like the Dennis Smith junior year was kind of fun 
and how sometimes this dunk contest has been pretty good, even in like those forgettable moments. That's my whole thing with All-Star Weekend in general, Kevin. You were watching for four hours for 17 good minutes, but those 17 minutes are something. Like they're great. Like the skills challenge when they're racing each other for the 90 total seconds, the three-point contest when Cat was going nuts, and then the dunk contest when anything good would have been happening. I don't think you need to fix it. It's, it just happens. It sucks sometimes. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's dunk contest specifically. I'm like, I wasn't intrigued by those players. And I think because they're not like even like, I'd rather have Gary Payton juke like two from the warriors. Like, I don't know if Juan T is that great of a dunker. So like, it's just like, I don't get the, the picks that they had this year. They were misses, but like, Gerald Green years ago when he was like, what, maybe averaging seven points per game. Like that was a good pick because that guy could jump. Like you Derek knew Jones that. Jr., baby. Yeah. Derek Jones Jr. Stuff like that. So they, I don't know what they were doing. Like they tried it with Cassius Stanley last year and he didn't really do that well. Oh, man. I mean, that's the main problem. And, and that's what people have been talking about is Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine were just kind of this perfect moment where neither of them were big enough stars yet to be turning down the dunk contest. But obviously these guys are all turning it down. Yeah. Like next year, if everyone's healthy, it should be Zion Williamson, Anthony Edwards, and John Morant. And one of those three guys alone would have made this year's must see. But if you put all three of them together, that's insane. And I think all three of those guys, I guess John now is going to be an all NBA player this year. And Ant's averaging 25 a game and Zion's an all-star too. Maybe they're too far gone in their careers now to be accepting but I mean, everyone makes the argument every couple of years, like the back in my day, MJ and Dominique and all of them were doing the dunk contest. Only just one of them needs to do it. That's it. Like Dwight Howard was, was the most dominant center on the planet and he was doing it. And, and like Anthony Edwards, I think he was the one who was like, I'm more of an in-game dunker, which is completely fair. And like, even if you say, I think you're just like finding a way out of that, that's like, he doesn't want to go be that creative because he's not sure about it because he's not sure he can do is like what Aaron Gordon did. And that's fine. So I think the bar was just crazy high to be entertained. Worst case, you embarrass yourself. You might as well go continue being a 25 point per game scorer who makes great quotes and not solely your reputation. If you're Anthony Edwards, for example. So I, I get why even like people on his level don't want to go through with that, I guess. All I'm saying is next February when they show for the four Obi Toppin dunks, like just in the span of 30 seconds and not the four hours it took to watch them. um, You'll be like, Oh wow. Those are nice. It's like, yeah, they were nice dunks on that night. Like some of the Jalen green dunks weren't that bad, but it was just the waiting and just how um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I loved it though, because uh, the sheer joy in him putting on an NFT chain and then failing miserably for six straight minutes, trusting Josh Christopher to throw mm-hmm. him a pass. Oh. Josh Christopher probably didn't ever throw a pass like that at eight. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, cheap uh, shots here. Sorry. Do we just want to make ASU fans mad and finally have our long overdue conversation of how good U of A basketball is, or do we save that before the tournament? We should save that before the tournament. We can save it. We got draft there will be draft talk it'll be fun it'll yeah, be fun. We'll, we'll we'll tell people we're talking draft about benedict matherin when really i'm gonna sit here and just protest why umar Balo should not even play at all <laughs> that's really what i'm here for um yeah but shout out to them man two losses this year ranked number two in the country we're, we're loving it we're loving it all right everyone well we tried to cover all the complexities hope you guys enjoyed it 
We'll be back next week. Yeah, we said we were going to spend this episode talking about like midseason awards and stuff, but things have happened. So next week, we're going to be talking about what it looks like the start of Suns basketball without Chris Paul for the foreseeable future. And we'll get into it then. We'll see you.